0: Break eighty. This guy's breaking. Break
1: eighty. Break eighty. In your life, have you seen anything like that? Welcome to the Baker's Dozen of the Break Eighty Podcasts. We are actually a two-person team tonight, as I'm joined by my co-host Mike. Mike, how was your Memorial Day weekend? Uh, well, I golfed poorly on Friday and I have done nothing but house projects since then. So it's, it's fantastic. Exceptional. <laughs> Sounds good. There's nothing like, you know, playing poorly at the start of the weekend. And then it just festers all weekend when you can't get out again. I would, uh, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I missed another putt playing, um,
2: playing, uh, roll em from about six feet five feet again to win on 18. So back <laughs> to back, uh, this time I actually, underread the break so I, I had the direction right yeah but i would um if i learned anything from this uh moral day weekend it's uh i would highly suggest if you were installing a bathtub shower just to hire a plumber hire out. what a pain hire in out. the ass that is oh my god is that a pain <laughs> in the ass
1: well i'll tell you what don't hire me because i would wouldn't know <laughs> where to start but well, we have quite the agenda of the pod. We, we, we're going to start with Colonial here and all that transpired there. We'll follow that up by a preview of the Memorial, which is Jack's tournament. And then we'll cap off the podcast with a couple other things around. Um, I shouldn't say cap off the podcast, but we've got a couple other things around golf. And then we'll finish the podcast with an interview with sports psychologist, Phil Nimala. And I guess the timing couldn't be more perfect since we have seen more guys shit their pants on the PGA tour when they get into contention than actually rise to the challenge these last couple of weeks and Phil will break down the mental aspect of golf and like how your mind can be your, your nemesis as well as your most valuable asset. So looking forward to that. Um, with that being said, colonial, uh, you know, golf course that is old school, Perry Maxwell, um, decent field, Sam Burns continues his hot season. Um, now has four wins in just over a year. And, you know, if we talked about, let's think I mentioned this last week. Um, there's kind of a lot of times two ways to win. One is that front runner who kind of takes off. Um, and then this last week we had the classic Sam Burns posts and sits there and tries either, you know, the guys try to either maintain or catch him, And he posts a 67, 65 on the weekend and it got him to the playoff where he actually seems to love it because he has now dropped two monster bomb putts in uh in a playoff to, uh, to win, um, I think it was Davis Riley at Valspar, and then he beats uh, um, Scotty Shuffler this week. But, I don't know, Burns just has that moxie. It kind of reminds me of a little bit of DJ. He kind of has that hip walk a little bit, um, kind of quiet, but he comes back from seven shots to win. What are your takeaways from, from Sam Burns? Yeah, he posted a number, and the conditions were
2: pretty fun to watch because I am never – I could watch that all day. I could watch those guys. I know it's actually – Kind of frustrating for people like a, like Scheffler, would take forever for some shots. That one little chip where he was trying to decide if he's going to chip it or put it, it was like fifteen minutes. But those guys are just perplexed in the wind out there, you know, which is like us average guys on any shot on us on a completely still day. But uh, I think part, <laughs> I think part of that is is in an era where a lot of golf courses are taking out trees, and I've always been a big fan of that. Don't get me wrong. I think that course that's makes the wind when it gets like that even harder because the wind is whipping in the trees and they can't tell direction and they were having a hell of a time and the greens are small. So that makes it harder. Um, Yeah. But Burns is kind of a stud. If you look back um the last, like, I think it's 14 months, a little over a year. He yep. had won four times the same as Scheffler has. Yeah. So those two have been, arguably the best two players in the world. I know Burns passed the golden boy in the world rankings up to number eight now or something this week, but he's legit. He has, he's kind of like Hovland though. And in, in majors he's hasn't really shown up yet, but he's pretty young. So uh, he's, he's legit
1: good. Yeah. he kind of gives you a, uh, you know, sort of like max Homa vibes too.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, they've won some great, some good golf tournaments, but, you know, and then Max finally shows up this week. So, you know, uh, I should say shows up last week to a top 10, I believe, I think Max got a top 10. So he's, he's finally, I think that confidence of winning a couple of times really just puts you over the top in a major. And then, you know, so we'll see what Sam Burns performs at, uh, at Brookline, but. But uh, yeah, he beats the number one player in the world. I thought that was more than anything. Sam Burns played obviously a great round of golf because there wasn't a lot of that being played on Sunday. To be honest, there wasn't many guys that were playing all that well. But then the one that really surprised me is the fact that it felt like Scotty Scheffler with the two-stroke lead in that leaderboard was basically going to be, in my opinion, you know, walk you know, a shoe in to win it. Um, and then he doesn't birdie a single hole, shoots two over. And ends up with, uh, in a playoff. I, I thought that was just as interesting as, as, uh, Sam Burns posting a score.
2: Yeah. And boy, did they, did they fall off that leaderboard fast? There was like, at one point, you know, of course, of course I was trying to install a bathtub. some running yeah. around and doing stuff. And I looked at the TV and I was like, holy shit, what am I doing? Installing a bathtub? There's like <laughs> five guys tied at 10 under, like, this is awesome.
1: And yeah. then
2: like 20 minutes later, I come by and I'm like, what the hell? Shelfers up by two all of a sudden.
1: Yeah. We got to touch on each of those guys. Cause it was, it was God. just, yeah, it was, it was unbelievable how, how they got to most of them got tied for first at minus 10 Davis Riley actually did get to minus 11, but mm-hmm. most of it was, you know, I think four, four or five guys that got there and then as fast as they got there, they dropped. It was, it was kind of actually entertaining to watch a little bit, but um, I don't know. It was just, you know, the small greens, lots of wind firm. There wasn't like Anybody that was stuffing anything, I mean, if they're making birdies, it was, you know, maybe a fifteen footer or, there just wasn't a lot. You know, the par fives they probably were able to, you know, get in there close, but it was just a lot of just grinding. So Harold 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 Varner was on like break ninety watch if you were doubling his back nines. He shot forty five in the back. So and this is a trend of his. I mean, dude, he. He is a, a amazing Thursday golfer. I mean, he he makes a lot of cuts. He plays really well on Thursdays, but then anytime he's ever gotten a contention on Sundays, I mean, he is the epitome of blowing up. I mean, he shot. I think he shot himself out of the tournament at the. I think it was Beth, Pate, Beth Page. Beth um, I mean, I, I don't think he. I think he shot like forty something on the front side and just totally done done. And he's shown that before. He just cannot find a way to keep it together on a Sunday. He looks cool and calm and collected. I mean, just very casual guy doesn't really seem to be upset with any shots or has a good attitude. It appears, but there's just something mental there with him. You know, it's hard. It's hard to watch on the scene of a 15 foot putt turn into a four putt. Yeah. uh, That's a tough scene. Through 12 holes
2: yesterday. He was 10 under tied for the lead. And he finished (laughs) at even.
1: He finished at even. He was 10 over on the last six holes. And that's the stuff that I'm really interested, you know, with this, um, interview with, with Phil, we're going to do, it's just the fact that these guys are so talented and they just have monster meltdowns. Davis Raleigh gets to 11. Okay. He's never won before has taken a second. He misses a four footer actually pulls an iron into a bunker. So it wasn't a good iron shot to begin with. Makes a great bunker shot to about four feet lips out. So then he bogeys following hole. He blasts one right over the fence. OB, (laughs) you know, and then his next shot is way left. I mean, and it's just, it's just fascinating that, I mean, it's that part of golf is fascinating to me. The guys that just cannot hold together. And I've been there, trust me. It's been, whether it be, you know, club championship where I remember going OB on 18, I basically had a par, a par five at Monticello to, to go to the final eight group. And I pull one out of bounds or whether it be driving range, uh, pull driving. range yeah. pull. Well, yeah, that, I mean, <laughs> not that far, but. Or, or, or you're, you're shooting one of your best rounds, you know, in your, you're all of a sudden think that you're going to start, you could do this right in your head. And then all of a sudden you start making bogeys after that. So this interview is going to be fa- fascinating with that part, but, um, a couple other guys that were there were stallings. I mean, he kind of hit a couple shots that I don't know if anybody's hit a shot from on that golf course. I mean, he was all over the place. Brendan Todd just doesn't have the, you know, even a short course is coming to six irons. Scheffler's coming in with pitching wedges, you know, that's not going to be hit to his favor. He did, he did shoot a, a a 71, which happens to be probably one of the better scores for the last guys, you know, the late round guys, but my goodness, the golf was not good.
2: No Scotty. will probably be okay with that second place finish. He, uh, or tight T one finish. He went over $11 million so far this year on the PGA tour. And it's only, it's not even June yet. It's good to be Ted Scott. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, t- you know, and Scotty, the thing about Scotty, that was weird. You know, he's obviously playing really well, but I just was surprised how tentative he was on the greens, just super tentative. And I don't think I've seen that much of him. He's pretty, pretty, pretty aggressive and just goes to make birdies. And he did not make a single birdie. He was just super, you know, you could just tell, he just didn't make that committed stroke. Um, I
2: think, I think the wind really was getting in their head putting wise for sure. Cause he had, they showed a short putt of Scotty Scheffler from that, Angle, you know, where the camera's behind the hole a little bit and he missed yeah. it. Right. And it wasn't even close. I mean, it was something that I would do on hole 18 and roll and roll a match to win. You know, yeah. I mean, it was nowhere near the kind of putt you'd see from a PGA tour player, let alone the hottest player in the world and world number one. So
1: yeah, you got, you're on to something there. Yeah, the 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 finish at at nine under was was super surprising. At one point, my my boy, the golden boy, even had it to seven pretty early in the round, but every time he made a birdie, followed it with a bogey. So he he kind of shot himself out of it and started to miss short putts again. So I don't know what's wrong with him. But other than that, I mean, it was a you know an average PGA tournament. I don't think you know drama is always nice, but. You know, it's really hard to come from a major back to a regular PGA Tour event, in my opinion. It's just a different feel for me. I don't get as excited. It's a little bit harder to watch for me. Um, so it's got a tough spot
2: because Memorial is a big deal. Yeah, that, well, that would week, be. And then U.S. Open's coming up, so it's kind of in a weird
1: spot. Um, well, Burns wins the jacket, um, but he also wins a 1979 fully restored Trans Am Firebird. So, Mike, if you were to win a golf tournament, what car would you like? To win
2: oh man i don't know i'm not much of a car guy i guess but um at the current state of things i would take a uh, <laughs> probably something electric that would get from point a to point b <laughs> if I'm having to buy gas like twice a week i do currently in my f-150 just yeah, exactly well yeah. i was
1: actually thinking opposite of you i was like give me an old motorhome motorhome yeah. where i can tour the country and play golf yeah um well, I don't know. There's not much more to talk about. Uh, you know, you and I didn't, you know, watch every shot or anything, but, uh, you know, biggest takeaway Sam Burns is good at golf as well as Scotty Scheffler. And, um, you know, we'll probably continue. Actually, you know, it's Burns winning another one is pretty much a shoe in for the, at this point, shoe in for not only the uh, President's Cup, but he's got to be up there for the Ryder Cup points got too. I don't know gotta think so i he it seems like he'd be a pretty good rider cup kind of
2: player especially for the u.s team which is built with a bunch of bombers that's what he does but i think my biggest takeaway is mother nature wins i mean that golf course in years where people have won at 20 under before you know yeah. in the in the low 20s and mainly due to one day pretty much it kept the scores down because some of the other days, there were guys firing some pretty low scores out there, but when the wind kicks up on an old golf course with small greens and it was firm, it was bouncing that one. Yeah. Somebody, somebody hit, Oh, burns is burns is a shot on the playoff bounced like a billion feet up in the air and long yep. to that spot where he made the putt from.
1: Yeah. And then, and just imagine trying to talk to your caddy and where you think you have to land it, you know, it's yeah. just, so anyways, Kind of a different golf course this week. It's the we, they go to um, the Midwest. It yep. moves to Ohio. Meerfield Village awaits. It's Jack's event, the Memorial. Uh, last year we had the COVID drama from uh, John Rahm, and then I believe Cantlay beat up Morikawa in a playoff. Um, so I, I'm assuming that John Rahm is going to come into this tournament kind of with a chip on his shoulder, if you will. But have you and I have talked about? maybe off offline, he's not played all that great. And I don't know if it could be something that you could guarantee. I don't, I just don't feel like he's got coming in with a lot of confidence. Yeah. When we get, when we get
2: to the picks, I, you know, probably win now that I don't pick him, but (laughs) how can you not on your radar? Like he hasn't, he has not played well. He really hasn't played well since the U S open last year at Torrey Pines. He's not. So I don't know.
1: Well, it's going to be a stern test. Uh, They get those greens pretty firm and fast. Uh, It's really fast. They get them really fast. And then they always have the rough pretty thick. Uh, So that basically means if you're not getting off the tee very well, you you know, basically good luck coming in because the golf course is fairly long as well. So you, you add some length, you add some thick rough and you add some firm and fast greens. There's a lot of factors here that need to be discussed in terms of who can play well i think it starts with being pretty accurate off the tee just to give yourself even a chance to to hit the greens and then your iron play has to be pretty good because if you miss the greens you're having a you know a thick lie with lots of rough and you have to get up and down with really firm greens it can make for for some tough shots so i don't know i i i also actually enjoy the closing hole i really like the the closing hole that that tough par four Um, Uh, the hardest hole in the hardest hole in the golf course. Yep. With the Creek on the left there. And then a lot of guys bail right where they have tons of bunkers, thick rough. So it makes you really, uh, commit to your shot. but anything else from Murfield? Well,
2: uh, yeah, they redid the whole course. Remember in 2020, I think. Okay. They, I remember watching it on TV. They, um, as the tour guys were finishing, you know, at 16, oh, that's right. They were already. were already on the front nine, tearing the greens up that's and right. ripping the whole course up that same day. So they renovated the whole place. I know 18 is the uh, hardest hole in the golf course, which is awesome to me. I love it when the last hole is hard. Yeah. Like, like Southern Hills was awesome when exactly. 18. Was. Um, And there's going to be more green locations um so you can have a few more or more pin locations that a larger greens you can make it a little tougher there because they kind of had a couple of spots only they could use and guys could kind of hit certain spots but um yeah it's got some tough holes at the end 17 is 485 yard par four um 16 200 rough you know 200 yards over water par three It's a good finish but they usually get the greens rolling i know in 2020 that year um, it was 2021 anyway, they get them on a flat surface. They get them rolling 13, you know, and you get some of those yep. slopes and stuff. So they're really moving, uh, you know, obviously it's weather dependent.
1: They actually get the, uh, fairways moving too. Cause I believe 17, the one you're talking about has a, has a big hill. If you get to the hill. Yeah. DJ, hill have, like a billion yes. miles. Once. Yep. And they just do this roll forever. So if you, yeah. if you hit fairways, you're going to get out of distance and obviously get a lot shorter clubs into the, uh, to the greens as well. So.
2: The one, the one thing I don't understand about the golf course, and I never have understood this, is so it's supposed to be like Jack paying homage to Muirfield in Scotland. You know That's why he built it. He was in the Walker Cup there in 1959 and all this. And he was over there a bunch, you know, at the British Open and everything. But at the same time, it's like. There's a bunch of trees still. I don't, you know, I don't. Yeah. So I don't. It's weird. That's just odd to me. But that's kind of the deal there. It's it's a tournament that he wanted to start, kind of like the his version of the Masters, you know, mm-hmm. um, and it was designed after, um, Muirfield Village somewhat.
1: But yeah, we'll see. I don't know. Should we do picks? We can do picks. Uh, I guess along with that is you know famous also the the old famous milkshake oh yeah god food. i would i would god, I would no, get so
2: much weight i love milkshake. I, I could get, i could
1: get one of those for sure supposedly yeah. they
2: i like i would love to go just like that's what we should do in here we should have like this podcast should have some pga tour myth busting like i want to go and is this milkshake that much better than like a fucking <laughs> drive through at mcdonald's or is it, i mean is it life changing because the tour pros claim it's so good they they like all, a-
1: all these wild flavors and stuff i don't know yeah, you're right. That'd be great. Maybe the PGA Tour can hit us up on that. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, let's get to the picks. Um, first of all, let's talk about last week. Oh, God. I'm kind of hot right now. Two in a row. You're tied. We're tied. We're tied at the seller. We're tied. 4-2-2. Two, two. Yep. Um, I had Jordan Spieth. He ended up taking top 10. I think like seventh, maybe, or ninth, something like that. Uh, he was top 10. And then um, you had Morikawa. I think B- he kind B- of
2: – how yeah. did he
1: end up? I don't even know.
2: It was terrible. Kind of limped out. in. Speaking of a guy who has not played well,
1: that guy is not, he has not done much since but but it was windy. He's not a mutter. Yeah, yeah, true. I don't think he's a mutter. That's, I think that, I think the verdict's out on him. Yeah, but bad do weather. Don't take more he, he
2: won the open championship. Yeah, was but there per- was no win that week. It, it was weird. Every day?
1: Don't you remember that? It was just bizarre. There's zero wind. Hmm. Um and then uh I believe Timmy had had Kisner missed the cut. Yes, so yep.
2: 422. So two,
1: Timmy up. gets first pick, took last this week, and he's obviously not joining us, but he did give us his pick. Um he is going, you know, Tim style. He likes to go with some of the the upper tier, upper echelon kind of player. Um, you wanna 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 say his pick? Yeah, he's taking my guy that just shit the bed last week, Kalamara. <laughs> now uh and this would be
2: so ironic that he decides to win this week. Um, Morikawa, I'll give a little insight on him. He was runner up last year. Was it a playoff? Even I think it was
1: a playoff. with. Cantley. I think it was a playoff with Canley. Yep.
2: They might've went into a playoff, but so, so he does have a good track record there. Um, but do we I have a question. weather report.
1: Do we have a weather I report? Yeah,
2: I have not checked the weather, but I do have this tidbit. This is fascinating to me. Fascinating. This would be a good thing for the psychology guy. Um, Colin Morikawa from four feet is ninth ranked putter in the world from four feet, ninth, ninth ranked putter on tour. So basically the world from five feet, he is 187th that one. How, how is that even possible?
1: That one added foot just gets, I don't know. That's weird. Maybe. You know, I think that's kind of the area that Spieth is struggling too. Like he's looks super comfortable over an eight footer for par. And then you get him for like three and a half, four feet. He just comes out of it immediately. So I don't, I don't know what that is. So four
2: feet and he's automatic basically. And five feet, I'm sure, I'm sure even 187th ranked is still a very high percentage of makes, but still to go from ninth to 187th and
1: one foot difference is crazy to me. Yeah, that's, that's tough. I mean, with the kind of courses they play too, with like, you know, really fast greens and being precise on a, you know, you don't get probably a lot of straight up the hill putts. So, you know, you get to five feet, those can kind of be a little risky. Um, So he went Morikawa. Yeah. You taking?
2: Well, uh, we're going to go back to the well here. I'm going to go back to the well with a guy who has not worked out well for me. Now we may or may not blame that on Mito going out going out late at night. And uh, <laughs> oh, by the way, hey, we didn't talk about that. Mito had a pretty good week at uh, he was up there for a while, so good for him. Yep, he did come back. Um, you know, Mito Mito kind of screwed him there a little bit, but he's a good player. He uh, he won the Genesis earlier. Riviera, we're taking Joaquin Neiman Jocko as as he goes by out there. Um, okay. Here's my thinking. Ooh, on this. Yep. The Chilean vibe going um, in 2018. I know they've redone the course now. So it's a little different when he was 19 years old, he was the 36 hole leader at the Memorial. He's a talented dude. And I think when you, you know, when you're looking at like stats and stuff to back up your logic for golf courses every week, I feel like this is one of those golf courses. that. And you said earlier, I think where uh, maybe you were talking about mental stuff, but, I think the Memorial at Muirfield, It's there's really nothing that stands out that you have to be good at this or that you got to be good at everything out there. You got to have some distance. You got to be fairly straight off the tee. You got to hit greens and you got to putt. So here's, what, here's Jocko's stats. Strokes gained tee to green. He's 12th. Strokes gained off the tee. He's 18th. Okay. And putting average on tour, he's averaging 1.695 putts per hole, which is fourth on tour so statistically speaking he's pretty damn good um and he, he backs it up with good play i don't even know where his world ranking is now it's pretty high but um i don't know did he even play this last week he did not he did not, he did, not. So he did, not he did not play not it no he's coming in rested maybe he got up to columb it's north of columbus it's dublin ohio maybe he got to dublin had a couple milkshakes early got the vibe going <laughs> he, <laughs> he needs a couple milkshakes uh, dude is
1: I think he weighs yeah. 120 pounds.
2: Yeah, he does. So uh,
1: that's that's my pick. We're gonna see how it goes here for him. All right. You know, maybe he's gonna he's gonna have this mental thing where he's like, "I'm gonna finish it for you, Mito." Mm-hmm. You know, we were right there. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring it home, and maybe he'll just kind of have that mentality. Well, I am going to actually um, choose a guy that I, I you know, I, I I try to choose not necessarily with my like like you kind of kind of do try to choose with your with your brain, not your heart. This guy actually infuriated me when I, when I chose him for something for the masters. I mean, he made one birdie in 36 holes and it was the 17th hole of, of Friday. Um, he, but his track record there, he's, he's never really, you know, you know, the word contending maybe, but he, but he's, has finished, um, top 15, four out of five times. So he's there. He's, he just hasn't been maybe, um, you know, he, he's a couple strokes away from, from contending. He's pretty good off the tee. Uh, good iron player. He, but he's not won since 2019, but he does have a gold medal. And that is X man Xander Shoffley. And I wonder if his dad will be there to support him. I love the old shots. To show <laughs> the Frenchman, the Frenchman. Yeah, I know he's a Frenchman. I know he's grabbing a milkshake. Um, but I do worry about his putter. I just, uh, you know, when he gets hot, I think it was the buyer Nelson. He got hot on the Sunday and finished, I think, tied for second. You know, his iron play was great. I think he's got a lot of confidence coming in. I think he's seeing more putts fall. I have a, I have a kind of a hesitation that if he does get a contention, will he be able to not falter? He just hasn't had that feeling a lot. So I will little worry about that. But I think his game is in the right spot. I think his game is there. Um, I don't. Uh, I, I again, I like his. Uh, what's you know the way the way he carries himself. He doesn't seem like he's always too high or too low, uh, you know. And he's and he's got a good little tidy short game too. I think he's pretty good out of the bunkers, pretty good off the greens. Just need a hot putter. He's he and he's due. He's yeah. he's, he's too good. He's too good to not
2: break out at some point. I don't know. I'm just looking at. at well, well, here. okay. Well,
1: you know what? I got to take that back. He does have a win. What? He what won with you? Cantley. But I just can't count oh. that. as. A, I can't really count that. Yeah. Yeah. That's not an I'm not, I'm not counting that. As, yeah. That's a yeah, way different. He won New Orleans. So, I mean, he won. He won New Orleans. But I just, I, I don't, I kind of ignore that one because it's not yeah. a, a stroke play event. With, you can't with, count Cantley because he's played like shit, basically, too. So.
2: Anyways, that's my pick. Um, anything else from? Yeah, I'm looking back at some previous winners. So Tom Lehman, Minnesota zone, has the all-time lowest score, 268, 20 under, in 94. Okay. But, but for some of you younger listeners out there, which there might not be any, I don't know. <laughs> just how dominant Tiger was in like 2000, 2001. Tiger won in 2000 for the second time at 1900 by five strokes. And then in 2001, he was 1700, won by seven. So he was just kicking ass.
1: This is one of his favorite venues. It's sad that he yeah. won't be there. Cause he, he, is this, yeah, he has eaten this course up. That's one of his favorites. Yep. Well, let's do a quick look around golf before we, we wrap up and get to the interview. Um, Steven Alker wins the PGA senior championship at Harbor shores in Michigan there. He has a, he hit like a, I think it was a 63 on Sunday. And if you, if you talk Good about score. conditions, if you talk about conditions, I watched that a little bit. Now that what that had some conditions that had lots of wind and a little bit of rain and you know, off the, off the water there. So that was pretty impressive. win. Um, the Stanford women walked away at the national championship, that's down at Greyhawk in, in Arizona. I think the men's is this week. Men's I didn't see you on the individual, but I know the, the team national championship will be I this think. week. Did you see you won the individual at all? I think it was a kid from Vanderbilt.
2: Oh, um, was a freshman,
1: a freshman.
2: Yeah. What was his name?
1: He, uh, he won it, huh? I He's got kind so. of
2: a, he had hundred and ninety-four ball speed on the, off the tee for a okay. freshman in college. Um, I think he won. Okay, I can't remember, I can't remember the name. He's in Vanderbilt.
1: Okay, so and the that,
2: ladies had match play at Shadow Creek.
1: Yeah, and then that's that's where we're gonna kind of let you kind of go. I think it was NG Lee won the match play at Shadow Creek this week, and we're gonna kind of let Mike take it from there because Mike actually has played. Shadow Creek what's the story how'd you get on there that's uh yeah that's a great story actually
2: um the whole kind of experiences. so um the match play which if anybody watched it at Shadow Creek they actually flipped the nines for the match play they had the uh,
1: they played the back nine as the front nine I don't know why um you know well, uh, but if, the, if the if the holes are good you want to use them because otherwise in match play oh yeah
2: I suppose cool. yeah the match cause they're kind of I mean 17 is a little short par three that uh fazio put like 10 million dollars into a waterfall behind it and then uh 18 18's is a good par five with a creek running another waterfall tim would say uh co-host tim here he he went with me he would say that they switched it because uh they, he didn't want they They were afraid that there'd be another birdie birdie finish like he had <laughs> sure, uh, sure. on 17 and 18 because he did um shout out to tim there um but yeah um so Chris, a buddy of ours, uh, who works for TaylorMade, he uh, had a friend or something that was working for MGM, who was going to be quitting at MGM, and MGM Properties owns Shadow Creek, and um, he called me one day or texted me. It was like a Wednesday, and said, "Hey, could you play Shadow Creek on Sunday?" And I started thinking like, what the fuck, what, what are we talking the actual shadow Creek or like shadow, is he confused shadow, Brook? It shadow Brook and whatever, <laughs> but this is like April. So I was like, yeah, I think I can find a way to get there. I said, how much? And he goes free. And I said, no way. Cause it's, it's supposedly the most expensive round of golf you know, round of golf there is. Apparently it's like a thousand dollar green fee at, oh. peak, at, at peak rates or something. Um, I said, Holy shit. Yes. I'll get a flight. (laughs) So, (laughs) so we flew out, Tim and Chris and I flew out on a Sunday morning at like 6. AM got to Vegas. Limo picked us up. They took us to the hotel because they will not let you out there unless you are checked into the hotel, one of their hotels in Vegas. So we had to check in, even though we didn't stay overnight, we flew back that same night we checked in. So what you paid for, you
1: paid for the hotel
2: and there's, uh, well, his buddy worked for MGM, so we didn't have to pay for that either. Okay, so got it. We checked in, um, and then you—the only way you can get to Shadow Creek is by limo. So we limoed out. They—they they give you a locker. My locker was next to like President Bush and Obama, and Michael Jordan's got a locker in there. And then they have some random locker. I just—I—I I had all I had was my sandals because I didn't even bring any extra clothes. So we were just playing golf, basically. Then you get out there and you get the full warm-up session. They got a caddy for the group. We had carts too, because you cart Shadow Creek. You don't walk it. So we had a caddy and carts. And uh, the caddy watches you on the range, you know, blah, blah, blah. And you go out. And supposedly Ken Griffey Jr. was out ahead of us somewhere. Um, The one cool thing about Shadow Creek is um, you never see another golf hole on the golf course. Really? It's out, it's out in the desert. And, uh, you know, they, they, at the time when they built it, uh, in the late eighties, early nineties, it was north of the town a ways now houses are kind of out there, but they designed it in a way they moved enough earth where it's got some, it's got hills and they put a bunch of trees. You never see another hole. So it's, it's, you're always on your own hole. That's it. Very intimate. Um, yeah. So it's pretty cool. Um, they, uh, you know, the, 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 conditions were immaculate. Everything was perfect. The caddy would hop off the cart. He'd ride in the back of the cart and then he'd hop off and give him nice. a number. And he'd say, you guys need, you guys need another six pack of beer. Yep. There's no cart girl. They drive it out from the bar. <laughs> <laughs> the carts have a cooler built onto the front. It's kind of cool. Like on the hood, but um, yeah, it was pretty wild experience. Um, you know, that the, I would say the, amenities and the experience and the vibe was cooler than like the golf course was great you know it ranks up there i think it's i think it's roughly 50th in the top 100 of overall courses you know including the private ones you know on my list that i have five down of the top 100 and got ways to go but it's like but yeah the, the experience is pretty cool the locker room was awesome it was it was master's sunday so afterwards we come in there's about two holes left or three holes left this is hideki's win okay um, when he kind of was starting to melt down a little bit Yep. and uh these guys from houston these oil guys were they had like 400 grand on the line when hideki won they were really celebrating so that was kind of cool but yeah that was shadow creek uh pretty cool pretty cool venue cool trip then we got got into the casino for a few hours and then flew back at me flew home that sounds like a fun yeah. nice little sunday then i coached high school golf
1: the next morning you know what I mean? there you go <laughs> <laughs> well great yeah yeah i mean you, if you i don't know if you, anybody got a chance to watch a little bit i watched a little bit of it um I mean, the women are just so precise. It's incredible. So I, I don't, every time I watch girls, the, the women's game, it's just, I can't believe how, first of all, I'm, I'm in love with their tempo.
2: Yeah. I was going to say tempo, tempo. tempo.
1: I, I just, I just, I don't, if I ever like get off track a little bit, I just need to watch some more women's golf. Cause it kind of gets me back into the, what your golf swing probably should look like. Um, if you want to get, have be more accurate and have more chances to make birdies, but uh, the golf course looked great. So anyways, with that being said, uh, I don't, we got to get to our interview here with, with Phil, anything else before we get yep, going? We got to do absurdities. Cause we got a good okay. one. Okay. All right. What do you got? If anybody
2: saw on social media, the Iowa, oh, class, yeah. th- the Iowa class three, a, I think it was girls state tournament somewhere like West of Des Moines. I don't know what is going on. It, if the, 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 superintendent is just an asshole, or is it's having a bad day or somebody screwed up or I don't know if the greens were, I don't know if they had been dry, but if you watched it, these, these high school girls, uh, they had a pin location on one hole that was just impossible. You they would, they were putting it up to the hole and it was rolling back down. I mean, we're talking for like 20 feet. It was rolling back down, past them off the green. One girl was like four feet above the hole. You know, it's, it's like a back tier. It looked like kind of on a lot of the videos, you know, And she missed it, of course, and it went all the way off the front of the green. And from what I could read, is, is they were taking like thirty to forty-five minutes to putt per group, <laughs> per group on this hole because it was so Rural. diabolical. There was like nobody could make even like I don't know. You got the number on on, on
1: big numbers. What was that for total? I, I I can't. I think this is don't you know? Don't quote me on this, but I thought it was fifty-four other scores. So that would be worse <laughs> than double. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I mean, we should sure part it somehow. I don't know how they should. I don't know how they part it, but three. They or should four be given part. a medal
2: and they should be given the title. You, <laughs> see, you part this. You part this hole. Here's a yeah. special medal from the Iowa. They, State they high had to league. think
1: like they were getting punked or something. Like, who's going to pop out and say, "Ha, just kidding." There's actually, the real hole location is this spot. Well, it was so crazy because, uh, you know, the videos
2: you saw on like Twitter and stuff, you know, you can't really tell the whole, you know, how huge the green is. But it looked to me as they headed on this little back knob kind of thing, because there were some girls that were putting like they looked like they were pin high left, and then get it right up to the hole. And then it would slowly creep down and then it would pick up speed and go off the green. And then it looked like there was a lower tier because the girl that was above it put it <laughs> all the way down and then it, and it, and it got speed going, went right off the lower tier. What a debacle.
1: Yeah. But that's, anyway, that's
2: not a good look. That's my only absurdity for the, uh, for the week, but, uh, Iowa high school league do better.
1: Yes. Do better. <laughs> yep, so. yep. Well, let's, uh, let's now enjoy our interview with a sports psychologist uh, who specifically loves to focus on golf. Um, it's Phil Nimala. I don't know if,
2: if he's, he, he's got a lot of fixing to do if he's going to get us
1: ready to roll. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's, uh, I think actually, I think it's a good refresher. Cause I talked to him a couple years ago and he gives you things to think about that you never would think about. Um, you know, what should you be thinking versus what are you thinking? You know, we talk a lot about. The thing not to do instead of the thing to do you know like you know your intention instead of your unintention that's a big part i know that's a big piece of it and and i need reminders i mean you you know we take five six months off of golf a lot of these things are really difficult to remember when you're actually starting to play so it would be fun to to catch up and and uh have them uh help us out a little bit
2: all right well enjoy everybody here we go with uh phil
1: All right, we are here with sports psychologist, Phil Niemala. And Phil, why don't you start by giving us a little bit of background about um, uh, what you do?
0: Uh, Yeah, so uh, I originally started as a physical education teacher uh, and a coach. Um, And then I really just started kind of diving into uh, positive psychology first and kind of implementing that into my teaching and coaching. And then I found out there was sports psychology and quickly went to get my master's. Uh, full-time and then went back to teaching. Uh, but for the past three years now, I've been uh, on my own doing sports psychology consulting um, and I have you know, my business towards better. Um, and so I think I'm really just trying to take my philosophy of you know, everything that happens to you in sports, it happens for your good and it happens for your improvement. And, and we just need a perspective uh, to help us see that. And that's kind of what I work on, um, you know so everything everything kind of helps us move towards better, if you will.
1: I love it and by the way, that's your Instagram handle, correct?
0: yeah, underscore towards better
1: yeah right um, and speaking of that why why is golf specifically something that you like to to focus in on? yeah, so I think
0: golf kind of lends itself really well to the mental game because it's one of the sports where uh, the ball is not moving. Uh, there's no defenders coming at you. And so really you, you have all the time in the world to think, um, but there's, there's kind of a proper way to think. And that gets kind of exposed, uh, exposed more, I think in golf um, it, and more people play it, right. It's more of a lifelong sport. So I, I can reach a lot of people with the mental game and the mental game kind of translates to life. So For I think for all those reasons, I'm I'm drawn to golf.
1: That's awesome, and and kind of going along with that, we, you know, the mental game is something that we've actually seen quite evidently on the PGA Tour the last couple weeks. Um, We've seen some guys who who've had the lead or near the lead, and then they blow it. I think back to the PGA Championship, you had Mito Pereira at the um, who basically said he lost control of his body in his last tee shot. We had Harold Varno last week who shot 45 on the back nine at Colonial. Davis Riley, who took the one-stroke lead, then proceeded. I think he missed a short par putt on, Mm -hmm. like, fifth. I don't know, like 13 to 14. And then he took his next tee shot out of bounds. Like, how do players at any level of that, you know, that try to perform in front of not only, you know, themselves, but other people, how do they handle those nerves? And and why is it so hard to do that (laughs) in golf?
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I think, especially on the professional level that uh, it gets kind of uh, amplified even more, but I really think that there are, there are just kind of, um, kind of glass ceilings that we're not prepared to go beyond. Um, you just, hit a, you hit a limit of kind of what you're capable of. And I, you know, as I watched, watched Mito and then watched his interviews, I, I, I felt like he probably prepared the best he could, but he just didn't have the experience to draw on, um, you know, whether it's dealing with the thoughts that he had, um, the nerve, the, the emotions that he was feeling, um, in sometimes, you know, that's the greatest thing about sports, right. Is all these things happen that we can't control. Um, and it really pushes you to your limit and you find out what that limit is, um, So I I think he just hit a limit and I, I didn't see Harold Varner or I can't remember the other guy you mentioned, Um, but it's kind of the same thing, right? You get in these situations and it's just, it's new. Uh, And if you were in it before and you failed and you didn't, you don't have somebody to debrief it with and, and have a positive perspective on what happened and move forward and learn from it, um, it can kind of continue to bite you. Um, But I, I hope that answers that question.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, especially Varner, he he's actually kind of been there a bunch of times and it seems like every time he gets there, you know, he's kind of like that one example that you're saying, you know, he's, he's, he's blown it before and it seems like he just kind of keeps falling into that trap.
0: Yeah. I feel like he's had quite a few where he's kind of been close. And then the last round he kind of fizzled. Um, so if, if, if it's not, you know, processed, I don't want to say correctly, but like with the with a positive frame of mind if if he can't reframe it and move forward. Um, And maybe he tried something different this time and it didn't work. And he's going to learn from that. And that's going to give him a big insight to the next time he's in the lead. Like there's no perfect um, equation to, to pulling this off. It's different for everybody.
2: So I got a question about Harold Varner and actually just golfers in general. Um, Harold Varner on Sunday was 10 under through 12 holes and he finished at even par <laughs> So he was 10 over the last six holes so when you're working with with players or in your studies how do you stop the snowball effect like like man he's a he's a professional golfer that's won this year he won mm-hmm. in yeah. Dubai or whatever and he yeah. was went just bonkers the last six holes
0: Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's so tough to to answer. I don't know Harold very well, Um, but but controlling the snowball is is more about, I think, getting into the present. And um, uh, when when things snowball like that, and you're feeling pressure, you kind of think you have to perform maybe perfectly or like faster um, than you normally would, or you know maybe trying to act like this pressure doesn't bother me. Which takes your focus on what you have to do, and you try to make it look easier. Um, I mean, there's so many things, but I think taking a deep breath always gets you present. Um, you know, I think trying to spot some some wildlife out on the course helps you get present and just kind of knocks you from that loop of, uh, of whatever self talk you have going at that time. You know, if it's negative or you're trying to project into the future. Um, trying to plan on, on how you're going to stop it rather than focusing on like, okay, what's next? So if you take a breath and you, and you distract yourself a, a bit from that loop, you can get back to, okay, here's my, here's my, here's my pre-shot routine. You know, here's what's important. Um, I, I think that gives you the best chance in those. And sometimes again, it, the momentum is strong and, and you just got to ride it out and um, learn from it for the next round.
1: I I find okay, so so Harold Varner. I don't have the stats in front of me, but he might be a top ten player in the world on Thursday. Mm-hmm. I mean, no, <laughs> yeah. nobody can fire a sixty three through sixty, you know, seven like him on a Thursday, and it's just like, you know, he's free. He, you know, I and it's just you know, on Sundays he's the opposite. So it's just kind of interesting how that works.
0: Yeah, and again, that's that's kind of what we love about sports is trying to, to figure this all out. um you know, and, and you can't prepare for all the things that you're going to face. There's, there's, um, you know, so much variation in day to day.
1: For sure. Actually, I, and this is kind of a nice little transition, like, you know, mental part of golf and sports in general, like for anybody that's not professional probably doesn't have a lot of, you know, experience with it. Like how, how do you think having like some renewed focus or thought process help, you know, the, the regular people like us um, improve? <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah, I think uh, like recreational golfers, um, I, 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 and this is, you know, coming from my experiences just misunderstanding what mental toughness was, um, or is, I, I always thought it was you either one, you don't have emotions, uh, which is insane. Um, and two, you just ignore the emotions and just, um, go through the physicality of playing um, neither of which worked very well. And so to really understand what mental toughness is, right. It does help you focus for a shot. Um, but then there's also those times where we really need to look at, uh, what we were thinking about how we were feeling before a shot. What was our self-talk? And I think a lot of people kind of missed that.
1: Was it, I think it was Max Homa. Max Homa recently said something about my caddy told me that I keep saying I suck <laughs> and he yeah. told me to stop saying I suck. And all of a sudden now he's starting to win. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Maxwell was one of my favorites. I think uh, he seems pretty genuine uh, based on, you know, some of his Twitter posts and yeah. stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, and, and he's pretty open about his mental game, which is why I love, you know, watching him in his press conferences and stuff like that. he he tells you what he's thinking and, I mean, I don't, I don't know a lot of people that are willing to admit how they talk to themselves or that they're feeling uh, nervous or they're scared of missing a putt. And, and he does a great job of that.
2: I thought Bones, speaking of caddies, and on Saturday of the PGA when Justin Thomas, you know, has played poorly, he was the last one out on the range and just beating himself up. And Bones basically had to give him a pep talk and tell him, you know, you're a great player. You shouldn't be so hard on yourself. And I'm thinking, hmm. That's pretty wild, because this guy. This is one of the best players in the world, who's having to get this pep talk about how he's not. He doesn't think he's good enough. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, this um, this idea that we all need tough love um, all the time. And, you know, you, you know, for others and for ourselves is. It's, it's one of those insane things where it's like, you, you got to be your biggest supporter. You got to be your uh, your biggest fan. You have to talk to yourself like you would you know, a, a one-year-old who's learning to, to walk. I mean, it has to be that level of compassion for yourself. Or you, you can, like, being hard on yourself it can work, but there's so much stress and there's so much anxiety in trying to prove things. It just, it, it can't last for long. And, um, you know, I think we see it kind of take its toll on some people.
1: You know, Phil, when, when PGA players struggle with that, you know, and kind of just taking this back to the amateur thing real quick. You know, if, if, if really good players struggle with that, mm-hmm. you know, obviously amateurs are going to struggle with it. What is like something, maybe one or two things that you think an amateur player, like that's trying to, you know, I don't know, just play on like tournaments, you know, week at club championships or, you know, just leagues, um, you know, mm-hmm. where competing a little bit, what is like something that they can, can do mentally that might, you know, help them start taking off a few strokes.
0: Uh, Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so many things and, and, you know, I (laughs) get, I could list off a bunch my, my mind kind of goes a little crazy with all this stuff, but, but it's so great. I love talking about it. Um, So the, I think the biggest thing that right now is jumping into my head is like being proactive about um, some of the things that stop you from playing well. So an exercise I like to do with clients is like, what's the worst thing that could happen, you know, for in assistance on the golf course, what's the worst thing that could happen. Right. And you you write it out, right. All the bad things that could happen. I could duff my first tee shot of, you know, not get it to a certain spot and I double bogey. And then I do this, right. Like just all these fears that, that come out. And it's amazing what comes out. Um, and if, if you give them a chance, if you write them out and you get a chance to just, just get them out, they kind of lose their, um, their power or their strength, right? And, and they can't kind of do their dirty work in the dark. Like, you know about it now and you've expressed it. And then after you write all that out, then you write down, okay, what, what do I do when I play well? Right. Well, I noticed I'm I'm calm before I hit. Um, I noticed I take time to get comfortable before a shot. Um, all these things start to come out about how you play well. Because these are things that we all know. Um, we just don't take the time to kind of get them out. And then what, again, once you start seeing them, again, the, the negative ones lose their strength and the positive ones build their strength.
1: Does that make sense? Yeah, I never thought of that before. Mm-hmm. So, 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 that, uh, well, kind of going off that feel real quick, like, you know, you, so, so a lot of it is like, we, we always, t- and I try to tell my, my golfers specifically in high school this like, try to focus on a place you want to hit it as opposed to a place you don't want to hit it. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. So that, I mean, that's a common thing, right? Like, yeah. Focus on what you want. Um, I think where, where people kind of get stuck is. They think they, they, they don't admit they're scared of it going somewhere else. And so then dealing with that, right? Like I want to hit it down the fairway. Uh, but that water is huge on the left, like in my mind, like to build the awareness of like, in my mind right now, uh, all I can imagine is hitting it in that water. Right. So then you have to take a step back and be like, okay, I'm going to refocus my routine gets me into my target. It gets me to trust my swing. And, and if I still feel scared, I'm I mean, going to acknowledge that I feel scared. And, and at some point I do have to proceed, you know, with trust in my swing and, and be okay with where it goes.
1: For sure. Mike, anything to build off that? Yeah. How, you know, thinking of that, what, what,
2: what would you, what do you advise players, you know, or people to, how do you practice? I think everybody knows about purpose mm. purposeful practice, you know, like don't just go to the range and beat balls, hit a ball, grab it on, go through your pre-shot routine. I think everybody knows that, but what other stuff, you know, are ways could people practice some of these more purposeful thinking or, or, you know, golf psychology stuff on the golf course or at on the driving or short game area. Mm.
0: Yeah, um I I think one of the things that's jumping in my head right now is go through your routine. Um you know all the all the thoughts uh picking your target, address the ball and then and don't hit it and then step away and go through it again. Get to the ball, right? Visualize we're gonna hit it and then step away. So you get the the uh the reps of going through it all, um, but just the mental part of it, right? And then take it a step further you could imagine hitting the ball instead of hitting it so that kind of builds your ability to visualize um, the shots that you want and then obviously you would do all that and still hit shots too Um, i'm not saying don't ever hit shots but um it's an easy way to build those mental skills um and another thing that that i love to do and i just do it in You know, I'm lucky enough to have a a yard big enough where I can kind of hit a wiffle ball around, but I like to build my, like I call it my club face awareness. So I try to hit it off the toe of the club, off the heel, and then off the center. So, and, and with that, then I'm also producing imperfect shots as well, but I'm setting my intention. I am executing my intention and it really builds this idea of the result doesn't matter. Does that make sense? Cause I'm hitting off the toe. It's going to be imperfect because I'm hitting off the heel. it's going to be imperfect. So then I get used to reacting to imperfect shots. Um, and I get really good at setting an intention.
1: That kind of then, reminds me of the rage mo- or the range monster that just goes out and tries to hit like a hundred perfect balls. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and but but it's the person that goes in the trees that actually you know is the most mm-hmm. creative player that mm-hmm. can see shots that you know the person that's always in the fairways can't see because they you know get an opportunity to, to express in a different way where they're not hitting just you know a perfect shot with no wind from stock clubs. You know, it, it's yeah, and that kind of can develop a player too. I think.
2: I'm telling you, it's yeah. a short short sighted life. You got to get
0: short sighted. <laughs> <laughs> <life. laughs> yeah, right. Makes exactly. Familiar with this. Like you you got to practice these things you see yeah. on the course and the, and the best place to do it is on the course. Um, and I know maybe a lot of courses won't say, will say they like, don't practice. like, But you can practice. You can, you can hit your drive. Uh, let's say you hit it in the middle of the fairway. You can move it wherever you want. <laughs> you don't have to play out of the fairway. If you want to work on hitting out of trees because uh, you're going to do a competition that has a lot of trees, put it in the trees. If you... Um, or maybe, um, I I posted last year, like, uh, a practice drill, like a practice round of golf called just in case you fuck up, like (laughs) just aim your drive into the trees and right. And just hit it there, right. Aim your approach shot into the bunker. So you're, you're, you're putting yourself in, uh, difficult situations, but it's by choice. So again, you're building that ability to set your intention to where you want to hit it. It's a, it's an unconventional target. Right. And so it kind of eases the, like, if I'm going to hit it in the bunker um, and I miss, I don't really care. Right. It doesn't have the same weight of, I got to hit it on the green and get a green regulation, right? There's no bunker in regulation, but that's what I'm trying to do. So then it, it really just helps me get into my, uh, pre-shot routine, it removes some of that weight and I can get used to like, okay, that's what it feels like, um, to not care about the result.
1: Actually, that, that kind of reminds me, Mike, have you ever played, um, the, like, uh, what is it called? Worst, worst ball or something? Like you play, like two I was, balls. I
2: was thinking that in my head. I was going mm, to do yeah. the exact same thing. Yeah. Play the worst, play the worst shot every all the way to the hole.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, things like that. And, and I, like one of the biggest things with practice is, and I think a lot of people lose it, is the the sense of play right this this idea that we can play around we can experiment we can be curious and if you I, you know my guess is if you talk to any of the elite golfers uh their childhood was probably they were allowed to play but justin thomas just had a video i saw on instagram where his dad would be teaching lessons and he would just get a bucket of balls and he would just try to shape all these shots that's play right like he gets his time to just play around um,
2: Rory just had something in golf.com I think about that too like tips for you know for kids and who want to be you know and parents who want their kids to be golfers his big main thing was go out and play the golf course
0: more't
2: mm-hmm. don't, yeah. ro- don't be a robot in the driving range all day
0: yeah yeah I mean it's it's so weird because the golf is like one of the sports only sports where it's like your practice isn't on the actual playing field. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. I mean, you can simulate it, you can do your best to visualize targets and you can create, you know, 30 wide fairway, 30 yard wide fairways and all this stuff, but it's not the same as like, that's the green, right? I want to get a green regulation and all these things that come up with, with playing golf.
1: And I think it goes with your short game too, because when when you're playing around, you'll get in spots, different lies that, you know, you would never probably see when you're just chipping on a nice manicured, you know, short game area. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're hitting on down slopes, you're hitting in up slopes, you're hitting all these different kinds of shots and like you can't mm-hmm. learn how to shape your body or what your club needs to do in, unless you actually have the experience of doing it. And that's where like, I think some of my golfers on my team struggle with the short game because they all of a sudden are in a spot, not mm-hmm. familiar with it because they haven't played enough. Yeah, and they haven't put themselves in different spots to mm-hmm. even know what to do when they're there. And the uh, yeah,
2: the funny thing is, is I've been lately probably the last few weeks. We're always trying to come up with new short game, you know, stuff. Mm-hmm. And we have and we're and we have a putting green with about six location, whole locations on. So I've been. Going almost every day now, and finding the hardest shots I can find.
0: Mm, yeah, you
2: know, down slopes to short side areas where you got to bump <laughs> and you got to you got to land it in the rough, and and you know flop shots, mm-hmm. and and you'd be amazed. You'd think the kids were going to like complain about it, and we, we make every single one a par three. You know, so we got if we oh, have yeah. five holes, it's a par fifteen. Mainly because I'm trying to say, okay. Let's say you missed a green. Now we're just trying to damage control. We're trying to get yep. out of here with at least a bogey because the mm-hmm. high school kids just they'll you know they'll blow up yeah. and double and triple. Yeah. And you would you could not believe how much fun right they have they have with it because they're really hard shots, but they, they get more into that than they've got into anything. You know, make them drop it normal. You can't fluff your lie, yeah. you play it where it is, and, and they have a blast doing it. And they're, and yeah. they're getting you can tell they're getting better at some of the because they gotta they gotta <laughs> think and they gotta actually work on some touch yes. and, some, and, and some feel.
0: Yeah. And that's like, so like our, our brain loves novelty, right? It loves to try to figure new things out. And so that's, that's why playing on the course is so valuable compared to a driving range. Um, again, you can create different scenarios on a driving range, but it's the same setup every time. But like when, you play your, your brain just loves figuring all that out. And that, that's why the like kids who, who play young and they play on their own and they play the course, they're, they're allowed to experiment. They're allowed to drop a ball here. You know, I used to take my, this was years ago, but when I, I had the, uh, my younger youngest brother was, gosh, I don't even know, seven, eight, he would find the longest putt on every green and be like, this is going to be the putt of the year. Right. And he would try to make, every, that was, that was his fun. Right. Like, and he doesn't play a lot of golf, but he's a pretty good putter right now.
2: Another, wow. another really good one that, that takes time and, um, and it, so we kind of have to do it like a crappy weather day when no one's on the golf course is I'll go out. if They let me with like all six of my varsity kids. And I have, you know, I have a couple kids that shoot around even par and then some other ones, you know, that shoot up into the eighties and they'll all tee off. And then I'll usually have like my number one's tee shot, which is like in the fairway. I'll make mm-hmm. him go play like my number sixes, you know, that's yeah. over in the right. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then my and they'll they'll all swap kind of usually usually one of the the better players swaps with one of the worst players, so the the better players are always playing in mm-hmm. trouble. Yeah. And then it's and it's also great for the players who aren't as good because they're like they end up at the end like holy cow, you know <laughs> this is this is not that hard if I actually hit it in every <laughs> once in a while. Yeah. You know yeah. it's and they are like man I could just go practice more maybe this would be games a little easier. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a brilliant that's a brilliant practice right there. They they get like th- these again, the the number six player gets to play from beneficial positions. So that kind of maybe increases his motivation and his focus to hit a fairway or to, to practice more. Yeah, right. And the and the best players get in positions where they again, they, they have to solve that problem. How do I get out of here? What does the best shot look like right now? Um, and things like that. So that's that's brilliant. I love that.
1: That's genius. Well, Phil, just like when Mike and I play, like we're basically like total opposites. So Mike does like no thinking. <laughs> and I'm just like, you know, I have all these things that I need to like, you know, hit the checklist before I take back the club. So, like, when does it get to be, when is uh, too much? Th- how much thinking is too much? Yeah, I, it, like too much
0: thinking, um, you know, I, I don't necessarily like that that's associated with the mental game because yeah. when, when you think well it is not overthinking and so if and you know if you're thinking well if if you're able to execute your shot so um, I, I just don't know if uh, you know overthinking and the mental game are synonymous um, I think overthinking is probably more of a focus problem right because we think a lot anyways and it's where are we putting that focus Right. And, and so most of us are, um, probably conditioned, uh, to focus on some negative things, right. Unhelpful things. Um, and it takes work to shift that to more beneficial thinking, right. So it feels like it's overthinking, right? Mm -hmm. Like I, I just missed this putt on 18, uh, to win the tournament. Right. And then, you know, my, you know, Phil would say, okay, let's take some time to maybe debrief that. Right. Like what were you feeling before the putt? Um, where you you know, uh, what's your reaction to it now and kind of go through these things and kind of get that out. Um, they feel like that's overthinking because they're not, used, they're used to like, well, I'll just forget about it and move on. Well, if you do that, it's going to happen again. That's what, yeah. like I said earlier, like you have to take the time to address that and shift it to a learning experience. It doesn't turn into a learning experience on its own.
2: So you're saying the last two times we played Roland and I've missed a five or six footer on 18 to win I should have, I should have debriefed <laughs> myself afterwards instead of going straight to the bar. Yeah Well,
0: I mean I mean you can go get a beer I can and debrief whatever. at the bar <laughs> yeah, yeah yes but you you again, you have to have somebody who you can really be honest with and who's not going to you know judge you and be like, you felt that way. How would you feel that way? Right. It has to be somebody who's like, yeah, I get that. Like that was a, you know, that's a big putt. Like what, (laughs) what, what did you learn from it? And maybe it's not, you know, somebody you play with, maybe it's your wife, maybe it's uh, a different friend. You know, I'm lucky enough where my wife can listen to my rounds of golf and the grief with her. (laughs) Um, and cause she's in, she's into mental toughness as well. Right. That's, she does that, um, with business, um, and with health. And so, you know, she loves hearing me like, okay, you know, I felt this before this shot. I didn't step away, but like all these things. So yeah, you do have to pull the learning out from it. It doesn't always just happen.
2: Well, I think everybody thinks about a lot of stuff. Like, I think, like I play pretty fast, but I, you know, I always have a target and all this stuff I I do before, but I Mm -hmm. can honestly tell you when I get in the, you know, the, the play box, like whatever they're, the two ladies, uh, Nielsen and whoever said I can yeah. also tell you I don't even know I don't think I really have a swing thought once I'm in there I just mm-hmm. I'm in there and I'm hitting the ball
0: yeah and it's different for everybody yeah so that uh, that's uh Lynn Marriott and Pia yeah, Nelson yeah that's what it is yeah. yeah yeah they're great um but yeah like it's it's different like I like to do all my thinking before and then I like to uh find a spot in the ball that I just kind of stare at and then I and then I go um, without trying to because sometimes I like everybody right I try to control where my swing is going to go in certain spots and it's like I just got to get out of the way <laughs> let my body do its thing
1: um Phil before we uh you know obviously appreciate your time before I let you go like one thing that I really want to talk about is because this is a lot of professionals and amateurs as well but it's it's the word the yips it's like you know <laughs> you've got you got a professional second basement that can't throw it to first you got <laughs> Rick Ankiel that all of a sudden needs to yeah. play to the outfield because he can't, you know. Yeah. And then you got guys like Bernard Langer that is, has have gone away from, you know, he's got to start using a long potter, you know. Yeah. Remember,
2: remember when Sergio couldn't pull the trigger there for a yeah,
1: while? Or it, yeah. Or yeah, and and, and Nah, and Kevin Nah. Kevin Nah. Yep. Yeah. Like what? What? Yeah. Like, is it? It's just just that powerful that it just overtakes everything you can, you know. Um. What's the yeah, research so on that? Like, what's the that, Erich, what's the science?
0: The yips are like, a, it's a tough thing, right? Because some people are like, don't talk about the yips, don't whatever. And it's like, <laughs> yips, yeah, they're a part of sports. Like, um, and they, they probably present themselves differently in regular life. Um, but it's like, to me, it's a, it's a culmination. It's a buildup of uh, like just un, like unbeneficial thinking, right? Things that just don't mm. benefit us. And, and, and it's not addressed. Uh, we try to ignore certain things. Um, cause I think everybody kind of gets the yips to a certain degree, right? Like, um, there was a moment where I couldn't hit out of a bunker. I would blade it. Um, I would hit it fat. I'm uh, what is happening? But I think the important part, like if you do experience these things where it, it happens over and over, it's, you gotta get curious. You can't judge yourself. It's not a, it's not a toughness thing, right? It's not a, a sign that you're not tough. Um, but you just have to, to get curious um, and understand that it happens. And again, the, the, my philosophy, it's happening to help you learn. So with like, with my bunker play, it was like, okay, I didn't really understand what I was doing out of the bunker. Right. I could get out of a bunker pretty well, but I didn't know why or what was happening. Yeah. And so then I, I wanted to get better and, and I tried to get better. And then I you know, started blading and chunk like it just I, I couldn't do it, and I just got curious and and that helps me now. Like I understand, um, I, like developing the ability to hit the ball where I want out of the sand. That's what I'm getting to, and that's what that has helped me. Like I have to understand it more. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, Because that's like okay. A couple of years ago, I would get you know. I would get the shanks, you know. I mm-hmm. not like, you know, not substantially, but I and I, and I don't, I couldn't, because I never had less in my life, you know. I just, I've always just, yeah, done my own thing, and I've never understood why I would get them. You know, I yeah. would just go and hammer out a hundred more balls, and so I didn't. <laughs> get one. Yeah. But now I've got the understanding of why they happen, and mm-hmm. when I get one, I'm so much more calm, and and mm-hmm. I haven't had one actually in a long time because I kind of know yeah you know next you round next
2: wait till, wait till next round you play now
1: are you talked about <laughs> <laughs> don't, pre- don't peek up but like that's yeah. just i don't have even that thought anymore because I f- i'm so yeah. comfortable knowing yep. why i got that result that if i get them
0: mm-hmm.
1: i you know at least i would tell myself at least I, I i think i would have a positive more vibe of you know getting myself out of that that negative thought but boy yeah. it could be it could be a tough one a couple of years ago when if that happened yeah, well, yeah I'll I'll it- go ahead phil
0: Oh, I was just going to say, like, so now when I play to the bunker, I can visualize what my club needs to do more like, than ever before because I got curious about, well, and now I'm blading it, right? Like, what does it look like to get out of the sand well? What does it look like to control a ball out of the bunker? And I can visualize it more now. So it's a, it's, it's always a beneficial thing. And, and the last thing I'll say about the yips, and then sorry to cut you off, Mike, but um, it's it's an overreaction to, like, uh, to fear, and then that fear is kind of based on the result, right the fear of not getting the result you want, um, and then we just judge ourselves hard and, and again like that's what i that's what I experienced um, so yeah I, I guess those are my thoughts on the yips uh, oh, and last thing, sorry I, I think it's it comes back to that sense of play, right do we have a sense of play, or are we so attached to the result um, and there's a there's a podcast with Justin Sua. It's put on by Sports Illustrated. I can't remember what it's called right now, but he interviews the closer. I think, ah, shoot, I'm blanking on all of this now. Bummer. And maybe I can send it to you guys and we can share it. But so there was a guy, a closer, who won the World Series a few years ago. And years before, um, he was in the majors, got the yips, uh, was cut went through like two or three years of trying to get back, um, figured out a lot of stuff, right. About pitching, about where his mind was. And then they, they, they play a clip of him closing, you know, striking out three batters in the bottom of the ninth to win a game in the world series and the crowd just goes nuts. And I'm like, man, what a journey for that guy to go through the yips, to get Mm -hmm. curious, to figure it out and then to be in the world series. And, and believing that, Hey, like I can handle the yips and he says, like, they're not gone, but I can handle them. Yeah. You know? Like that's huge.
2: Well, well, Jeff, I think if you get, do get the shanks again, the, yeah. the, the great, the wise sage Cheech Marin, I believe, I believe said you put all your change in your left pocket, <laughs> you tie your shoe and you tie your left shoe in a double knot uh-huh. put yeah, a yeah. behind your left ear. I believe that's what he told Tim <laughs> Cup on the driving range in the USA.
0: Yeah. That's so good. Cause that, that actually like takes your, your mind off of being so attached to the result. Stress. Like it could, yeah. it could work for a little bit.
1: Mm-hmm. I love it. Well, well, Phil, you know, we appreciate your time. I mean, we know that uh, time is precious, but like, this is such good stuff. Um, you know, at least for me because I think the mental side of is kind of how I can always improve, like not just mm-hmm. the physical stuff. Cause that only I think can go so far, but. You know, yeah. just the way you think around the course and things like that, I think is just, um, just a lot of fun to listen to. So we appreciate it. Um, yeah, last butter, thing I'll
0: say, sorry, quick, yeah, yeah. go ahead. That's a separator. Right. And I always say like your swing is good enough to produce lower scores. Like you just have to get out of
1: the way yep. and you can, you can continue a one man scramble, but yeah, just put one man scramble shot 65. You know, it's like, I hit all those yeah. shots. Nobody else yeah. did. Yep.
2: What's your so, uh, Phil? What's your Instagram again for people that maybe get a hold of you or something? If they yeah, Instagram
0: is uh, underscore towards better. And the, uh, if you if you send me a DM, we can do like a free you know half hour quick consultation, and that 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 helps a lot of people on its own. Um, see a lot of improvement, so it doesn't take a lot.
2: Perfect.
1: All right. Well, we appreciate it, Phil. You're the man. Yeah. Thanks, the guys, right.
0: and, and Jeff. I love what you're building with Break Eighty, and this podcast was great. Uh, thank you both. Yeah. Thanks, thank buddy. you.
1: Take care.
0: All right, we'll see you guys. Maybe today's the day I break 80. Want the ball to draw, but it keeps the fade. No O B and no bogeys. I gotta keep it on the 80s. The gold wage. You hit it on one. Straight up the gut, baby. Now I got a wedge on my short game cravings. little bit of edge on the sport makes gravy. So punch out the rough and tune to break 80. Break 80. Look at this shot. It was amazing. Break eighty. This guy's break eighty. Break eighty.